In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Good morning. So today uh, we have a unique passage. Uh, Christ speaks to us and uh, he gives us a list of instructions. It's just uh, a very clear uh, teaching that we find in the gospel passage today. Typically we would find a story or an event or something that we would have to explain and try to understand. But in this case today, uh, we have clear, straightforward instructions um, in, in this passage of the gospel. And so if we look at this passage, the, this list of instructions, one can summarize the entire message of this list from the very first line, where Christ says, I say to you, love your enemies. Do good to those who hurt you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who spitefully use you. That message from the very beginning of that whole list of instructions can essentially be understood as the entire summary. And as a matter of fact, that message of love can be understood as the summary for the gospel as a whole. If you remember when um, Christ spoke elsewhere in Matthew, he summarized the gospel in two commandments. And he said that the, 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 the message of love is the entire law and prophets. So he says in Matthew 22, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And this is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So he summarized the entire law, everything that the prophets spoke about, everything they were pointing to was love. Okay? So it may seem a little radical to summarize everything that we know about Christianity in these two commandments. But something even more radical is um, what St. Paul wrote in Galatians was even a step further. Because he summarized the entire law, not in two commandments, but in one. So he like took it a step further. So like he said, he came and said, I could break it down even further. I can even simplify it more than that. And so you would think that if he's going to summarize the entire law in one commandment, that typically one would guess it's got to be the first and great commandment that he said right here. The first one that Jesus says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. But ironically, he says something a little different. He chooses the second commandment of the two which Christ said. So in Galatians 5.14 he says, For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So he chose to love your neighbor as the greatest commandment. Now, Why the neighbor? Isn't, isn't God our priority? Isn't, isn't God like number one? Why is it to love your neighbor that's the greatest commandment? Alright, so I think the best way to really explain this is in the story of St. Peshoy. St. Peshoy is one of the greatest ascetics of our church. 
one of the greatest saints, a man of prayer, a man of love, a man of humility, a man of obedience. And as he grew in his holiness, Christ appeared to him and he says, uh, I want to reveal myself to the rest of the monks in the monastery as well. And so, on the next day, tomorrow, I'm going to appear on the mountain so that all of the monks in the monastery may come and also receive my blessings. And so, St. Peshoy is excited to hear this message, he's excited to hear this invitation. And so he goes straight out to the rest of the monks and he tells them, like, guys, Jesus is going to appear on the mountain. We got to wake up early in the morning, make sure we get excited, like, get ready, we're going to go out to see Jesus. And so, they all get ready, all are up in the morning, like, before the sun comes up, and they're on their way. And as they're walking up the mountain, so that they could uh, arrive in time to see Jesus, they see that an old, frail man is just standing along the side, and he's asking what's going on, and he says, Jesus is going to appear in the mountain, we're going to go see him. And, and he says, well, I'd love to come along. And he said, no, you're going to slow us down, we don't have time for that, like, if we take you with us, that's going to be an inconvenience, and you're going to slow us down, we're going to miss him. And so, one by one, they keep passing him up. One by one, they pass up this old, frail, scrawny man. And so, comes at the very end of the pack, another old man, St. Peshoy. At this point, he was already an elderly, the abbot of the monastery. And so, he's just as old, but he sees this old man. And before even having a conversation with him, he says, I'm taking you with me to see Jesus. Although he knows very well, just like the other monks, that he's going to slow him down. And there's a chance that he will miss Jesus as well. But he says, that's okay. You are my priority. I would rather you see Jesus with me than me to miss out as well. So he picks him up, puts him on his shoulders, and they start walking up the mountain. And, you know, immediately he, sees, he feels an overwhelming weight and he notices like something is strange. And he looks at the man's wrists and feet and he sees the scars of Christ. And he notices this was Christ himself. Everybody else definitely loved God. Everybody else was longing for God. Everybody else desired to see God. But in that love, believe it or not, there's a speck of spiritual greed. Even though we may be pursuing God, we may do so with some greed because it's a very selfish sort of love. It's a love that doesn't want to compromise and sacrifice for others along the way. And that's why it requires even more sacrifice to love our neighbor. That's why St. Anthony said, in your neighbor, you will find your life and your death. You will find your life and your death in your neighbor. Because if you love your neighbor, that is your source of life. But if you fail to love your neighbor, that will be to your condemnation. And so, it requires a greater sacrifice for us to love our neighbor. That's why St. Paul, in summarizing the entire law, says that it can be summarized in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. 
St. John Climacus says, He who loves the Lord has first loved his brother. Because the second is a proof of the first. Don't think that just because St. Peshoi stopped along the way to take this old man with him, that he really didn't care about God. Don't think that he loved another person more than he loved God. But it was because he loved God that he stopped and took this man with him. Remember that love for our neighbor is, is the real proof of our love for God. And so that's what St. Paul is talking about. Summarize it in the proof. The proof of our love for God is revealed in our love for our neighbor. And as St. Peshu is walking along the way, he did exactly what Christ would have done himself. Christ himself would have stopped. And so he's following in the footsteps of Christ. That is the expression of God's work, is to love those who need us, those who will not necessarily repay us. And that's why the commandment to love our enemy goes to the summit of love as a whole. Archmanina Zechariah says more particularly, the summit of the commandment to love our neighbor is to love and pray for our enemies. He continues to say that he who loves his enemies is conformed to the Spirit of Christ who stretched out his arms on the cross and embraced all. Friends and enemies alike, those far from him and those near to him, those who do not know him and those who do know him. That's why the commandment to love our enemies is the greatest of all commandments. So we go beyond loving our Creator, the one who provides for us. We go beyond that, that love that sometimes comes out of necessity, it comes out of convenience, and we extend to the love that requires a greater sacrifice, a love that may not reward us at all. That's our neighbor. But if we go even beyond that in sacrifice, it's our enemy. The one who may continue to curse us. The one that may continue to hate us. We know that God is going to provide for us. That God will take care of us. That God will reward us. So sometimes it's, a, it's easier to love God. I mean, God may be a little tough with us at times, but we know that He died for us, and so coming to love Him requires less of a struggle than loving our neighbor or even the one who hates us. Loving that, that nasty boss that keeps giving you a hard time. Or when you're driving, loving that, that guy who just cut you off. Or whenever you're... Uh, <laughs> a funny story is just like a, a couple of weeks ago, I was going to check out out of the grocery and I was, uh, I was walking out with just... Um, I was, I was walking out with literally one item that I wanted to, to take. I think I was just buying some eggs. And a man in front of me has like a cart full of like a hundred different things. And I'm thinking like, bro, can I just like, you know, you know, typically there's like a formal protocol. Like I got like, like not even a whole carton of eggs. It's like a half, you know, like six eggs. And I'm like trying to go ahead of him. I give him a little nod. Do you mind if I go? And he's like, nope. 
and I'm like, all right. Like at that point, like this guy was like my enemy. <laughs> Although we know that can hardly be considered a real enemy. I think we use that word loosely. You know, this guy wasn't like a real enemy. He just maybe was uh, confused or whatever. But it requires a greater amount of love and sacrifice to love those who will, will harm us and persecute us or curse us. And, and that's why we understand the commandment to love our enemies as the summit of all love. So, how can we do this? How can we love something that is so difficult? St. Silwan says, The commandment to love our enemies kills every trace of pride in us. In order to fulfill it, we must humble ourselves utterly so as to make way for the Holy Spirit. Love for enemies is the surest criterion of the presence of the Holy Spirit in us. And so, if this is something that is so difficult that at times seems absolutely impossible, we got to admit that it can only happen by the presence of God in us. You see Christ on the cross, faced by His accusers, faced by the ones who nailed Him to that cross. And He says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. I'm telling you right here, right now, the only one who can truly love, who can truly forgive, is Christ. And unless He dwells in us by the power of His Spirit, we cannot follow in His footsteps. And so, the, the, the one who offends us, the one who insults us, can only find love and forgiveness from us if it is Christ loving that person and forgiving Him within us. And so, in as much as we make room for the Holy Spirit in us to work, we can love our enemies. And as much as we make room for the Holy Spirit to work in us, we can forgive those who offend us. I've seen stories of court cases where like a mass murderer will be on trial and somebody will come and say uh, one nasty thing after another and I hope you, you burn forever and I hope you suffer. And then another lady who just lost her son by this man will come and will say, you did some terrible things, but I forgive you and I hope you find healing. I was just going through some of these stories and, and there are plenty. And, and I think of somebody who can love like that and I, I wonder how it's possible. It's not a human ability. It's, it's, it's a divine quality. Only God Himself who was crucified can love with that divine love, can forgive with that forgiveness that, that, that holds no grudges, that forgives and forgets. So it's His Spirit that's got to be working within us. Now I'm going to leave you with a little story of a man named Elijah. So in the 1840s, right around the time of slavery, uh, this man Elijah was born as a free black African man. And he was betrayed by another African man who came, took him, and sold him to a white man to serve as a slave. Uh, it starts out very similar uh, to, the, to, the, to the movie 12 Years a Slave, if you guys have seen this. And so he's betrayed by this black man, and now he goes from a free man to a slave. And you can only imagine what's going through his mind. He's bitter, he's full of hatred and resentment. 
Um, he's, he's like barely able to do his work and he's just always complaining. But then throughout his work, um, he encounters another slave, a Christian man, who speaks to him about Christ. And slowly he starts to fall in love with this man, Christ. And as he falls in love with Christ, he starts to dedicate his life to him and he starts to follow in his footsteps. And his life starts to transform. He, he begins to work with more peace and joy. And he begins to work even more faithfully until he found favor in his master's eyes. Just like Joseph, who was imprisoned, found favor in Pharaoh's eyes and he elevated him in his rank. This slave was also elevated in, the, in his rank until he was like the supervisor of all the slaves. And it came one day where this master told him, we're going to go to the market to, to buy some more slaves and I want you to come with me so that you can buy the slaves that you want working for you in the field. And so he goes with him and they pick a few slaves and then before they go, he notices an old frail man. And so Elijah says, I want this man. And the master says, well, what are you going to do with this man? He's, he's not going to be able to work. He's frail. He's scrawny. He's weak. He's going to be a burden. He says, you told me that I can pick any man that I want. I want him to come work for me. He's like, okay, deal. So he takes the old man back with him. And of course, you know, there's no mystery to it. The man did indeed slow him down. And the man was a burden to him. So he would actually uh, pause throughout his work to go back and help this man and it did slow him down a lot. Now, before I continue any further, I want to read you like word for word the account of this story so that I don't take away from it. So, Elijah took the old man and gave him a place in his own hut and fed him with his food share. After his plantation work was done, he sat up to make clothes for the old slave he gave him only easy work to do, but the man was old. And one day the master noticed Elijah hurrying in from the fields to his hut every so often, then returning and working as hard as he could to make up for the lost time. Finally, the master followed him to the hut to see what was going on. And there he found Elijah sponging the face of the old man with a cool cloth as he lay moaning on a bunk, deathly ill. Anger filled the master and he snapped. This man is no slave, he's useless, I told you not to get him. So here begins the dialogue. He says, yes, Massa, Elijah replied, but he's a man, a sick man, and he needs my help. I'll be back to the fields as soon as I cool his face. The master snarled, who is the slave anyway? Why are you so anxious to care for him? Is he your father? No, he not be my father. Then he must be your brother or your uncle. No, Massa, he not my brother or my uncle. He's a friend then? No, Massa, he not my friend, he my enemy. You're what? Yes, Massa, he my enemy. And Lord Jesus, he say to love our enemy and do them good. Elijah paused. This slave, he beat a man that sold me to the slave traders many years ago when I'm a free man in my village in Africa. Now I find him and does him good, like the good books say. And speechless, the master walked away. It's a powerful story to see how this man went out of his way and, and found the, the, the 
most difficult man to love out of every slave that was in the market. And he brought him back to, to be a light to this man. And I, I know sometimes we love, and the person we love may not change. We love our enemies, and they might not even know that we're loving them. But what will always certainly happen is that we ourselves are transformed. Because it is by His presence in us that we can love. And so in as much as He dwells within us, we become transformed into His image and we become Christ. And glory be to God forever. Amen.